Welcome to episode 111 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. Regular listeners will be expecting to hear Tarek's voice, but uh, unfortunately, he's only gone and caught COVID, so he's left this intro, outro part of the podcast to me. But don't worry, he is a part of the interview, so you'll get to hear him shortly. Um, If this is your first episode, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing careers, hear how they got into the industry, and try and get as many hints and tips as possible. We've had some really fantastic guests in terms of authors, screenwriters, journalists, comic writers, and more uh, over the past 110 episodes, so please do go and check those out if you haven't already. But uh, the the run of Fantastic Guests continues this week with Ed MacDonald, who is the brilliant fantasy author of the Raven's Mark trilogy and has a new series starting next week at the time this episode goes out, starting with the book Daughter of Red Winter, um, which I've been fortunate enough to read. And it really is brilliant. If you're a fan of the sort of dark fantasy of someone like Joe Abercrombie, then uh, you'll really love Ed's writing. So highly recommend you check that out we obviously talked to him about that we also talked to him about how he moved from ancient history and archaeology into becoming a writer we talk a bit about him being a practitioner of historical european martial arts uh, and how that helps with the fight scenes in his books and also ed is someone if you follow him on twitter he's someone that gives a lot of really great writing advice for aspiring authors and i think it's writing advice with a dose of realism and he talks about why he wants to do that because there's a lot of advice out there obviously if you're an aspiring author uh, and things being suggested aren't always the best things to be doing so he, he his advice is always frank but also really helpful so if you're not already following him and you are an aspiring author I would highly recommend it but we chat to him a bit about that and a bit about the role that social media plays for an author these days and and how important or not that that is but um, enough rambling from me just now I'll get straight into the podcast after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then after the podcast I'll be back briefly just to let you know about next week's great guest The Blank Page To some it's terrifying an obstacle to overcome but we prefer to think of it as an opportunity a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, 
divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? Um, I, I suppose yes, really. Uh, I probably been writing thing, writing something since as far back as I can conceivably, realistically remember. Um, when I was uh, in my childhood, I, I wanted to write comic books. Um, mm-hmm. I used to draw comics. Me and my brother created a comic called Laser, and Laser had a cover. Two page, three, two and a half pages of comic, and then one special feature. Nice. We were taking turns to do this, which can be a competition, but obviously we didn't have anyone to enter because <laughs> no one else was reading our our Batman ripoffs, which is what it mostly was. Um, I had a character called the Darkness who looked exactly like Batman, except his head was an octagon. Um, <laughs> Easy to draw. He threw he threw moonerangs instead of batarangs and. Nice. Uh, I don't think he had any, any story behind him other than that he was like Batman, but we used to draw comics. And, and then as I got older, um, I started uh, writing um, fiction. And, you know, I, th- I think it's good for people to to write what's well, essentially fan fiction. Um, mine was not fan fiction in the traditional sense, in that we changed the names subtly. So I think Return of the Dejai was uh, <laughs> talk of us. Um, we always wanted to have a little originality, but there was a character in that called Arm Solo, um, uh, and Luke Spacewalker, Princess Catherine, because my sister was called Catherine, and we weren't very good at names. But um, <laughs> yeah, you yeah, cheated was, just enough to avoid getting caught there. That's I know. I can't clever. even think yeah. what, what franchise you based that on. <laughs> Well, I gravitated over time into sort of I started writing my own stories um, and me and my sister wrote uh, a book together when I guess I was like 13 and she was 11, um, She's called The Phoenix Ruby. Uh, and then I drew my, I, I became really obsessed with uh, manga. So I started trying to draw comics like manga. Um, and then over time, uh, sort of fantasy books became my, my passion. And um, more and more I was writing uh, just in sort of long novel format. Um, and it just, I, I sort of always knew that I wanted to to have a career in writing, but I didn't, I didn't really think very hard about it until I was much older. Um, I got, I got carried away at sort of, you know, 16, 17 with going to the pub and, you know, trying to be a grown up long before I was ready to be a grown up. That took another 12 years or something like that. Um, and I didn't make a serious attempt to have anything published till I was at least 24, 25. Um, and even then, even then, it was it was a, a weak effort at best. And, and yeah, because I think I'm right in saying you went to uni and you studied history, is that right? Yeah, I did. Uh, I, I did ancient history and archaeology um, to begin with. And then uh, after doing that, I knew that I didn't want to be an archaeologist 
because they send you out on a on a text test excavation a couple of times and it's incredibly boring it's it's you're just kneeling in the mud um scraping walls and uh no finding uh, secret uh, chambers and yeah were, were the nazis around at all <laughs> yeah, exactly well on the first day they said like uh you know you probably all want to do archaeology because you want to be indiana jones <laughs> and get a whip and a gun and everybody else laughed <laughs> and you just that, you just drained the thought you, drained you, away you quietly it, took you? your hat <laughs> off <laughs> yeah. that's it I, I, don't, I don't know what I really expected but but it wasn't it wasn't drawing strata of uh, soil um, yeah. variations um, but yeah I, I did that and uh, then I became obsessed with World of Warcraft for about a, a, something like a quarter of my life and I went and worked for the company that Blizzard I oh, went right. For about three years in France, and uh, and that I I had no time for writing in that period. And then when I when I finally moved back to the UK, I was like, right, I'm you know late twenties. I'm I'm going to make a serious go of it. And um, so, yeah, so, it so so for when when you made that decision, then I'm going to make a serious, serious go of it. I mean, how in terms of time scale, how long was it from that period to actually? you know, getting picked up by an agent and everything. So I, I arrived back in the UK and I, uh, I, I set myself a goal of writing 9,000 words a day. Um, <laughs> which, <laughs> Have you ever hit that target? <laughs> <unrealistic>. <laughs> um, but it did mean that I wrote a lot of words. Um, and I, I did the thing which I'd, I'd advise everyone never to do, which is I, I was entering short story competitions where you had to pay five pounds to get into them and that kind of thing. Complete waste of time, um, you know, exploitative really. And uh, I, I eventually, I finished up writing a book, um, which was really, really bad, really bad. And, he, and as soon, I finished it and I'd intended to sort of query it. But as soon as I finished, I knew how terrible it was. It didn't have, it didn't really have a story. It didn't have any good characters. It was just my meandering Bernard Cornwell ripple. Um, so it, this was a fantasy book, similar to the stuff you would go on to write, but just of a much lower level. It was, it was certainly a fantasy book, uh, but it, it was very similar to Bernard Cornwell's um, uh, sort of Uhtred series, um, embarrassingly close to it. Um, and I, so I didn't query it, and I wrote another book, and that was two hundred eighty thousand words long. And I queried that, and that took that took a couple of years to write. But I had this job where no one knew what I was doing, including the management and me, and it just meant I had a hell of a lot of time. So I wrote this mega long book, and after querying it with a handful of agents, one of them kindly said, "This book is far too long to for a debut to publish. Um, could you consider cutting it in half?" And I looked at it and thought. There's no, there's no point in the middle to cut, but there's not really an ending either. It's, <laughs> it's not really even a story. And so I went back to the drawing board again, and I was like, right, I'm going to write a 90,000-word book. And I wrote Blackwing, which was 160,000 words in its original form. So I didn't manage to do it anyway. But um, that got picked up when I was, I want to say, it was 2016. Um, and so it was published when I was 35, I want to say. Mm. Yeah, I'd have been 35. So from from when I sort of started committing to it, about six years. And and Blackwing was your third full bootleg that you'd written and put out there and stuff. 
I'd, I'd written, I completed two novels or three novels before. There's, there's one like lot way back when I was 21 or 18. And, but I, I worked out once, I, I got all the files and I added up all the words and the amount of stuff I'd written before I wrote Blackwing was 1.5 million words worth of novels. <laughs> wow. That's insane. I mean, so you've 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 put the, you've put your time in then you've you've worked your way up you know to get that book and then when Blackwing when you when you finished Blackwing how long did it take you then to find an agent after that did you go through the old fashioned submission process or did you have a different way in? So I have a I, I decided I would turn it into a very mechanical process, um, and I appreciate a lot of uh, you know aspiring to be published authors like it feels a real slog. So my system was. I would send, I, I first of all looked up all the agents who my favorite authors were with, um, or at least the authors who I thought would appreciate the book. Um, and I put them in a spreadsheet and I sent out 10 query letters with exactly what they wanted according to their websites. And the plan was after three months, I would mark off on the spreadsheet. Um, I would mark them off in, I think I was using Brown. And in brown, after I, after a rejection or three months, because you shouldn't use red. If you use red on your spreadsheet, that means that that looks like a failure. We associate red with bad. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, right, brown, if they don't respond or they reject. And, and the day that one came back and rejected, I would replace it in the pool on the same day with the next agent in line, which I'd already prepared. So to always have 10 floating submissions. Uh, and that way it would feel like, it wouldn't feel like a constant slog. Mm-hmm. Um and then I got a contact from an agent um, after about two months, two months in. And he said, uh, I really like it. Could you cut 50,000 words out of the book? So obviously you say, of course I can, of course. <laughs> it's 160,000 words. Can I get it down to 110? And I did. And that took me about a month. And in doing so, the story became a heck of a lot better it turned out the whole middle which was the which was the point of the book when i started writing it the whole middle my main bit was completely superfluous to the story so out that came went off back to him and then he held on to it for something like i think about three months and at the end of that time i got an email saying i'm really sorry it's been this long i've tried to put my finger on it and i can't but i just don't think it's for me (laughs) <laughs> so that sort of helpful response yeah, I mean it was, it was astonishing really um, but I, I thought alright chin up, tonight I'll get drunk tomorrow I'll put it back, at, you know, another one in the pool replace that one, by then I'd let a lot of them lapse and mm-hmm. it, by then it was seven months after I'd sent out my initial query so really all of them were, were as lapsed and the, the day after I got a phone call while I was teaching a, a university class and um uh, it was uh, Ian Drury, who is now my agent, saying, I've just read the syn- your synopsis. And I'd sent him a, sn- a snail mail hard copy because I couldn't find his email address to send him anything. So I just printed it out and put it in a brown envelope and, and whacked it in the poster. Seven months after he received it, he finally read it. Um, and he was going to Scarborough for uh, Fantasy Con, I think it was. And so I sent it to him. He read it over that weekend. And um, the following Tuesday, uh, he was my agent. Brilliant. Wow. So it happened, <laughs> it, it happened it, fast. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny process, isn't it? Because, it, yeah, you can go through these periods of, of months of waiting and no real response or anything. And then 
it sounds like certainly from the people we've spoken to that when there is interest it suddenly happens all very very quickly at that point it it was it was incredibly quick and you know it was at the time i was sort of not believing it um it, it's it's such a big change of pace from you know years in the wilderness to suddenly oh okay something might happen and yeah. and with blackwing it, it it the pace got faster immediately um i think it was frankfurt book fair one or two weeks after that um, and I was I was at a student's graduation in Chelmsford and I was all wearing my, you know, my academic gown and mortarboard hat. Um, and my agent calls me up and says, so we've got a holding offer from a German publisher. It's it's not their final. It's not their final offer. They're just registering interest for the translation rights. So we hadn't sold it in the UK uh, or in English at all. But the, this German publisher was interesting. I had this weird moment of. What if I'm a sensation in Germany and never get published in the rest of the world? The, the David Hasselhoff of, of <laughs> authors. No, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> Germany's a big country. Um, but as it was, we sold it in the UK and the US three days after that. Um, or I think there was an auction in the UK and and uh, and, and the US and, and the following week it had sold. So from getting an agent to having, I think we sold it in UK, US, France, uh, Germany, Spain, only took about three weeks. Wow, that's that's crazy fast. And that was with no more edits done to the book. You didn't do any more revisions with no. the agent at all or anything. Fantastic. Well, my my agent actually, when he, you know, he said like I've got when I first met him, he said like I've got these ideas for things to change, um, and gave me a, a list of things. And I, I just said like, okay, I'll do it over the weekend, um, and I'll have the, I'll have it back to you on Monday, um, and I did. Um, one of which was was um, I since I submitted it, I come to think that mercenaries were quite overdone in fantasy that was coming out at the time, and my my characters were mercenaries, so I removed them from the book and I invented the organisation of Blackwing, which didn't exist before before that weekend. Wow! <laughs> and I, I said to my agent, like, maybe what if they were like fantasy FBI? Would that be? And he's like, oh yeah, that's a good idea. Do that. And uh, and so I put that in over the weekend. And <laughs> Last that's, minute edition. Yeah, and that's where the title of the book ended up coming from. Um, oh, of course. Cool. So, um, yeah, when it when it happens, it all happens sort of really fast. And as an author, you're sitting on the outside, seeing none of this. Mm-hmm. My agent has a policy that really, if he doesn't have good news, <laughs> he doesn't tell me anything. <laughs> so um, until until there's something to tell, there's nothing to tell. Um, so it always feels like a massive thing um, when there's anything to say, you know. And and just for for listeners um, that are going through or, or will go through that process, I mean, what, how many agents do you think you submitted to? Roughly? Well, because I, I got this bite from an agent from my first 10, I, I pretty much thought when he said, can you cut these words out? I, I was pretty right. much thinking I'm done. Um, I'm, I'm, that's going to be my agent. Um, and so I stopped sending. I never got to use my replace in the pool, but it's what I it's what I advise everyone to do. Um, ten at a time. Every time one quits, when you put another one back in. But so in total, uh, I think something like thirteen. Um, and had had I but had had my now agent not got back to me after seven months, then I would have you know I would have put it back up to up to the 20s yeah. uh, and then maybe none of them would have liked it who knows 
it's it's a it's a big fishing game. You, you're tossing in bait and hoping that someone yeah. wants to bite the worm. And and in terms of of those who are going through the process now, is there any advice you would give? And is there anything you would change about the way that you did go through it the first time? Um, I think in terms of the way I approach sending things out, no. I I would say that the way that I researched what to do, it's a lot of the stuff you'll see repeated everywhere online. You know, you send people exactly what they want to receive. Nothing more, nothing less. I've posted previously, I've posted up my um, cover letter um, on uh, on my website and places in various times. And, you know, you, you keep it short, you, you're polite, you're professional. You remember that this is a business as much as it's your beloved, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's part of your soul on the page. It's still a product you're trying to sell and you've got to, you've got to approach it with all that level of professionalism. Um, so make it mechanical, make it, make it a routine thing. And you can't, I know this will sound impossible to anyone who's querying and hoping, but you can't put your heart into the the chances. Um, rejections are going to happen, and even if you even if you do get published, your next book might well be rejected by the same publisher who took it the first time. Um, rejections are going to come all the time, and the and the more success you have, you know, every <laughs> ironically after you publish a book what you really hope for is that you make it into tv and film um yeah. that's where the money is. um but you're going to get rejected over and over even with a best-selling novel you know you can you can top the charts so you've got to be thick-skinned you've got to be resilient um and you know i work at a, a business university where they like to use terms like being agile in business which, you know, I don't know how anyone thinks about being agile, but responding to changes, um, listening to feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, 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 main, the main advice I give anyone who's querying is you've got to be objective um, and recognize that maybe one in a thousand aspirants gets an agent and of them, two thirds might sell a book. And you you shouldn't you know and it's there's such a high degree of luck in whether a book will succeed or not even when it's published um some amazing books to slip under the radar it's not their it wasn't their time maybe they should have landed five years earlier maybe they should have landed five years later Mm. and caught a trend but it's there's so much luck um you have to be hard working and lucky and so you can't you can't put too much of your self esteem into that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's right. And it, it, certainly the, the previous guests we've had on have, have said something very similar. That you know, um, as you were alluding to, their rejection it is part of the part of the business of being a writer, and you you just have to learn to cope with that in in your own way, I suppose. Um, but um, when when Blackwing came out, obviously it was very well received and and has has gone on to be. Uh, the 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 first in the Ravens Mark trilogy, did did it was it always intended by you to be a trilogy, and did you have the whole arc planned out before that first book was written? I didn't even have the ending of the first book written. <laughs> um, it's not it's not how I work. I I didn't know no not at all. Um, there are I, I deliberately wrote it so it would stand alone. And that is something I would advise all all right uh, budding fantasists to do. Um, 
you're not writing a, a seven-part series until you've written six books and then you're on the seventh. You're writing one book and you've got to sell one book. So you need to show that you can finish a story in a single book. So that's what I set out to do. Now, I, I wanted to leave enough like carry on threads yeah. that you know you you would hope to get a series deal and fantasy books typically do sell in that way so i left a couple of open ended uh threads but i i had a completely different ending in mind when i started writing it and then i i have misunderstood how my word count was being done on the computer it sounds bizarre that that could be the case, but I, I used to save each chapter in a separate file and then add them up, and I was adding them up wrong. So <laughs> I thought I was about 90,000 words, and really I was already on 140,000. I was only halfway through the book, and I was like, I've done it again. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> um, Why did so, you save each chapter in a, in a separate file, in, in case you lost something? I think it's because I hadn't discovered how to add headings in, uh, <laughs> in the book. <laughs> um, I didn't know how to add headings, so it was easier to navigate around by naming the chapters by what happened in them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've, I've given up doing that uh, subsequently. But, yeah, I was far too far through, and I thought, God, this book has got to end now. It, it needs, you know, I can't write another 70,000 words. I've got to finish it off, which caused me to rejig the whole thing, and and I came up with them. Um, a vastly different ending than I'd I'd ever intended to. Mm -hmm. um, this is what comes of not planning your books and just writing what you feel like on the day. Well, I, I was going to ask about that. I mean, is that what you you do even now? Are you more a pantser than a planner? Then oh, I th I think even calling it being a pantser is is giving it too much respect. <laughs> um, I mean, it's like saying that emptying a tin of alphabetti spaghetti into the sink and then looking for words is a process. Like, that's, that's, that's my best description of it. Um, I've just, so I've just, uh, a couple of days ago, I finished writing um, the second book in the Red Winter Chronicles, um, which is hard to hype people about because they haven't read book one yet. And I'm like, yeah. whoa, I finished book two. It's like, oh. It's like telling someone you're competing in the 2048 Olympics or something. Like, it doesn't really matter right now. Um but my my process for it again is I just start writing and then I write what should come next and what should come next. And I think I got in this one I got to about ninety thousand words before I realised who the antagonist in the story was, and then had to go back and insert them through the book. Um, and I, it's it's just a sort of general chaos. It requires the way I write means that I write twice as much as I need, delete half of it, rewrite half of everything that remained. Um, particularly the, the beginning of books. I, I probably rewrite the start of a book from scratch four or five times, right. the first 40,000 words or something like that. Wow. Um, Is that just yeah. kind of, for you and your process, you need to be writing the words out to help you think through what needs to happen next? You, you, know, you can't just sit down and plan it without actually being knee-deep in it. Yeah, absolutely. So... I don't understand how anyone can have their best ideas sitting, looking at a blank page, thinking, what are my ideas? What's going to happen? Every good idea I've ever had in writing has come midway through a sentence that I'm writing about something else. Uh, and, you know, I'll, I'll just be writing and I'll think, but what if they got together? Hmm. Or, oh, 
that that line I've just written implies there's a storyline about fatherhood here. Let's write about that, and then you know I'll, I'll go off on a on a. It'll just get added to the narrative, and therefore because the narratives sort of evolve in a. I'd hate. I don't like to say organically because it's me doing it. It's, they're not growing on their own, but they evolve through the process of writing, which is why I always have to rewrite the start so many times. Because by the time I'm halfway through the middle, the start doesn't work for what I'm now wanting to do. Um, it's not a way I recommend to anyone else to write. But I've tried planning. Um, I've tried planning out a whole book, and then during the first three pages of chapter one, I'll just have this much better idea. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the same way, I don't understand how anyone can can build a world um, and create a whole world-building file of magic and religions and things like that, and then not immediately abandon it and start writing something else when the world is lived in, because it's through the character lenses that you get all the best detail. And you might, I think, in Blackwing, you know, there's um, neon lights, and I, I just thought. One day, I've been, there's a pub in New Cross in London called, uh, which has a sign outside advertising beer. In neon letters, it says, take courage. And I thought, what if, what if you had neon lights? You'd put that on the side of a castle, wouldn't you? So I just added it in. And then I was like, oh, well, there should probably be some magic to explain why there's neon light now. And over time, it developed and became its, its whole thing. But all these things end up just sort of a, a moment of, out of the sidelines of your consciousness about something that I want to write that day. I'm like, yeah, sure, stick it in. We'll, we'll justify it later. But isn't it cool if it's neon? <laughs> Does that mean that like books two and three in a series are easier because you've already kind of done the heavy lifting and creating the world? Well, so I've, I'm halfway, I'm, I've written two books in the second series, in this, this second series now. And book two, both times, has been a nightmare. Okay. <laughs> problem is you're not free anymore in book one you're utterly free to write whatever you want you can make up anything in book two you're already bound by the characters they all have to have a certain amount of page time or you know they'll feel forgotten um you've already established the rules of the world so they have to be adhered to um and you're also in a book two you're writing towards an ending which is not the ending it probably it has to be bigger than the ending of book one, or it'll feel like we've. I, I I sort of see trilogies as an escalation of events each book, so it needs to be bigger than one, but it can't be as big as three. You can't kill off anyone you need for three, but you haven't written three yet, so you don't know who that is. You just have to hope that when you get there, you haven't killed off someone who's really important. And then for for the Ravens Mark. Crowfall, the third book, was by far the... It was the easiest to write. I, I wrote that in six months. Um, it it's follows a slightly different format to the other books. It's crazier. It's uh, a lot, you know, a much less reliable narrator and a lot of more nuts stuff happens. But by then, the characters are so firmly ensconced in your mind, you don't have to build any of them while you're writing. Yeah. They're already there. So you don't have to do all that work. But also, you can finish it any way you want. Um, whereas at the end of you know the second Red Winter Chronicles book, I'm like, I've got to leave someone alive. <laughs> I can't kill everyone. There. I've always thought book two or film two in a series, in a in a film in a set of three. The second one's always the tough one because you're, as you say, you kind of you want to get the climax just right, and you also need it to bridge 
stuff and set things up, but also have it feeling like there's enough of a of a wrapping things up, there's enough of a conclusion that it feels like its own thing, but also setting something else up. So it's it's a kind of weird stepping stone. You know, is it a book in its own right? It's a kind of a weird it's a weird object, I think, book two. It, it's so weird. And it has to be a book in its own right. I think I think it's an error to leave the reader hanging. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they if they've read four hundred pages, they deserve to have a satisfying conclusion to something. Mm-hmm which means you need a villain who can be defeated at the end of book two, who is more, for, for you know, heroic fantasy series, they've got to be more of a threat than the villain in book one, but not as much of a threat as the villain in book three. Yeah. And they have to seed you forward to that, that final villain. So you can't bring your biggest guns out. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also, like, if, if you write, um, the sort of thing I write, the main characters are not, they're not, the mo- they're not Gandalf. They're not the most mm-hmm. powerful wizard around. And you need to do what Tolkien does in The Hobbit, where he realises, problem is, Gandalf can just solve all the problems. He has to randomly lead this <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, he'd just sort it all out on the way. And so I always have these mega wizards who have to, I have to somehow dispose of them and take them out of the action so the, the hero can actually do something of value. It's sort of like, in, I suppose, in, in superhero stories, it's the Superman problem, I guess. It's yeah. the overpowered character. That, that yeah, is... why have a Justice League? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. It, it, yeah, it's completely that. Um, and, I mean, or, you know, D- Dumbledore is the same, isn't he? Like, yeah. why doesn't... Why, if they really just went and explained things clearly and concisely at the start of each book, you could just figure out. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. But there's always some spurious reason about why they can't have a conversation or write him a letter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or even their parents. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I know that that is often the thing. Yeah, people don't have the conversations that would solve everything very early on. But, um, it, so, I mean, it sounds for you that, the, the, to use that sort of writing cliche, um, writing is rewriting. It, it, you know, the the redrafting process is obviously a very po- very important part of of your process. I I would always advise writers to just write from the start and go forward, and write to the end as fast as you can. Um, I don't believe there's any value whatsoever in rewriting uh, anything that you don't absolutely have to. And that includes editing lines, editing paragraphs. I think doing that is is an act of futility because by the time you get to the end of the book, you uh, you know, to have a complete first draft, it's only, only when I get to the... Maybe it's different for other people, but when I get to the end of the book, I finally know how it finishes. And therefore I know what has to go, be inserted yeah, yeah. into the rest of the book to make it work. But even after I've done that, I'm going to give it to my, uh, you know, my beta reader, and then it's going to go to editors, and they're going to tell me to cut out whole chapters. Um, I think my my biggest edits were for Raven Cry, where I was asked to remove the central villain and replace them with a different villain, and three editors didn't like the villain, so I was like, "All right, well, I'm going to have to do that then. It's <laughs> not working." So I've got to now put a new character into all the scenes and do the same thing that the previous villain did. What, but, what sort of, I mean, that sounds like a really difficult change because you're you're really restricted. But you can't. You don't want to change any of the bigger. It was a nightmare. story plot thing. It's, is it a case of changing the way they speak or their? Tone? It was that it was that the characters' motivations didn't feel believable. 
Right. And the whole character was based around it. So I had to come up with another character who had different motivations and would work, which I managed to do. And I don't think anyone reading it would ever know which character I'm necessarily even talking about because in the rewrite, it changed so much. But if you if you spend your time trying to work out the, you know, it's it's kind of like rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. You've got bigger things to worry about than individual lines. You've got to you got to get your prose right at the end. There's no point polishing anything until you know it's the final product. Uh, so, I I think don't don't rework what you've done at all. The, okay, I suppose I, I will make a caveat that. If you decide to change something significant halfway through the writing, yes, you might want to go back and put in the scenes with the new character or change your start so you have a better idea. But on the whole, the sooner you have a completed draft, even if it's terrible, even if it's absolute, you know, and look at you'll look at it and think like this doesn't even make sense because you know this character stopped being in it halfway through. That's fine because you're going to go back and you're going to edit it. Um, and that that's where you make a book good mm-hmm. and when when you're writing I, I want to ask as well about obviously you you write fantasy novels but they're quite grounded uh, compared you know they're, they're not high fantasy as they as they describe it um do you do you do research in the way that you would for example if you're writing historical fiction or something like that do, do you spend a lot of time researching um, I, I've never done any research, right, okay. <laughs> honestly, uh, short of simply putting things into Google. But having said that, you know, I, I, I've studied ancient history and archaeology. Uh, in the early 2010s, I did a master's in medieval history. Um, I'm, a, I'm a medieval swordsman. I, I study HEMA, historical European martial arts, where we take um, old treaties written I think our earliest one is about 1290-ish, um, the 133 manual in Leeds Armoury. And then we get more and more going through all the way into the modern period. And we study those and people kindly translate them from medieval German and Latin for us and Italian. And uh, and then we try and interpret what they do. So um, a, lot of, a lot of the stuff to do with that I use in action sequences comes from that training that mm-hmm. I've done. Um, where we try and figure out how did people actually use swords in the past, um, and I, I've, I've read it. I've read it enough enough dry uh, academic history to feel like I really don't want to read any of it ever again. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's the good thing about fantasy; you just get to make yeah, it up yeah, when you don't yeah, feel yeah. like it. Uh, your new book is up quite soon, Daughter of Red Winter. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit what the book's about? So Dora of Redwinter um, is a kind of coming-of-age story um, about a young woman who is able to see the spirits of the dead, um, which is uh, sort of viewed with superstition and abhorrence by society. So it's something she has to keep a secret. Um, And she uh, goes through some ordeals, falls in with uh, the kind of warrior... Uh, monk magicians who rule over a sort of pseudo-Scottish um, landscape um, 
where they are all completely obsessed with maintaining something called the crown, which is not actually a crown, but uh, a huge underground power network, essentially. Um, and she falls into a bunch of conspiracies and cults uh, while going through various um, life, life-affirming and life-changing uh, teenage ordeals. And, and where, given that you're not a, pl- not a planner, don't do research where it's the it's the question that all writers hate but i mean where do you get these ideas from for for these new fantasy stories then so the the red winter books are actually a rewrite of that 280,000 word novel oh, okay. that i once wrote however after after i'd written raven's mark i wrote about 200,000 words of stuff that i couldn't use i including one book i wrote a, wrote a whole book and i hated it and i hated everything about it and I was I was desperately looking for something that I would like. And I picked up the old book and I started, I thought, oh, okay, maybe I can rework something of this. Um, and as it turns out, the, the main thing was I, I gender flipped the main character. Um, I could I could just feel as I was going through, I was like, this is this is this is not uh, a male-driven narrative. Um and once I did, the character really just just came into my you know in into my mind as I knew she should have been all along um and not a word of that original 280,000 word manuscript exists the story isn't the same mm-hmm. so unfortunately the answer to this is I got the idea from this story from a different story that I'd already written when I was much younger and <laughs> so but I, th- I think it, there's a lot of uh, the things in Daughter of Red, of Red Winter are to do with feelings that I experienced throughout um, the, pan- uh, the the years before the pandemic, really. Um, I find that with all my books. I, I always, if I read anything back through them, I think this was the book I read when I was really depressed. Uh, this is the book that I was writing when um, I'd become obsessed with 17th century armour. This is the book which uh, is about feeling isolated and lonely. And so really, uh, although there's a fantasy setting. A lot of it is, I, I, I see moods that I've had mm-hmm. reflected back in, in what I've written down, um, which I never realized I'm doing at the time. Um, but I think I put quite a lot of my own internal life into the characters I'm writing about and, and looking at daughter of Redwing to that's certainly the case. I mean, is that, is that again, going back to the writing cliches, is that a bit of, even even if you're not doing it consciously, a bit of sort of write what you know, because obviously fantasy is fantasy. So some might say that's not writing what you know, but it sounds like through the characters and stuff, you are bringing your own experiences to it. Yeah, I, I it's a broad phrase, isn't it? Write what mm-hmm. you know. Um, I think that the most convincing characters are the ones who reflect real experiences and real emotions. Um and if you don't have those emotional experiences and you haven't felt those things in your life, then it's harder to write about them. I don't think it's impossible. And I think we can imagine. And I think it's perfectly legitimate for someone to write something totally outside their sphere of knowledge. Um, I, don't, I don't think you need to write what you know at all. Um, but I do think that sometimes there is... Uh, it's like a subconscious authenticity that you find in a book 
And sometimes you're reading the way that someone's described it and you just think they know mm-hmm. they they've experienced this. Mm-hmm. They've had this trauma. And I, I always say children's books are about characters avoiding trauma and adult books are about characters who've experienced trauma in the past. And YA books are kind of about trauma that you have while you are becoming an adult. That's, that's my, those are, everyone will hate me for giving a definition of YA, but that's my <laughs> definition. Um, and I think all books are ultimately about trauma and everyone's suffered trauma in some way or another through their lives. And the way that we portray that a character deals with it and understands it and feels it is what to me makes a book feel authentic or not. Um, it's, it's how we express our pain and getting past pain and the, the juxtaposition of pain and joy and the paradoxes that allow you to be happy and sad at the same time and everything else. Yeah. No, that and- makes a lot of sense. You've you recently um I know you've got a big interest in role playing games. Um and is that something which is is kind of helpful when it comes to trying to build worlds and tell stories? Um I well it's something that I certainly started doing when I was pretty young. I remember my mum and dad got me uh the Hero Quest board game when I was ten years old and I was obsessed with fantasy ever ever after. That that became it became my passion in life. And I think there's a correlation um, between the interests, but one doesn't necessarily lead into the other. Um, there's a big difference between building a world and telling a story. Uh, I think they're they're mutually supportive skill sets. But I always t- I always tell author- uh, aspiring authors, let's say, that you should create the world around the protagonists. The, the world and the magic and everything in a fantasy world only exists so you can tell their character journey. If, if you're telling a story about somebody's uh, need to overcome loss, then the magic supports their need to overcome loss and it should be integral to, to how, uh, with a you know, mutually supportive relationship between the two. Um, I think the difficulty with people trying to move from uh, tabletop roleplay games to uh, writing novels is that they know how to do all the world building. They know how to create gods and monsters and places and cultures. But what, by designing all the world first, what you're actually doing is, is laying a, a bear trap for yourself. Because what all that design is going to tell you as you go along is, no, you can't do that, or mm-hmm. that's not how it works. Whereas that's interesting. you create the world for the character's stories to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes this gets you into awful tangles where you think, I had a point in Daughter of Red Winter where I thought, oh no, this, this particular magic I've created, which is used to resolve plot issue A, <laughs> kind of nullifies plot issue B. <laughs> Why didn't they just do that? And then you have to come up with like some some spurious reason. <laughs> and and uh, as as people will be able to tell from from what you've been saying, you you're someone that thinks I think about about the craft and the process quite a lot. And um, you give out on your social media. You you've been doing some really useful threads for for writers and things like that. I mean. You know, first of all, not many, some authors do that, but not many do. Why did you want to do that? And secondly, do you think social media in 
in this day and age is an essential tool for writers. Oh, okay. So I, I think there's a lot of nonsense gets spoken about the process and craft of writing. And I think it's really important that I, I can only speak towards authors who are aspiring for traditional publication. I don't know anything about self-publishing and I wouldn't have, I wouldn't claim that I did, but if you're aspiring towards traditional publication, um, it's very easy to fall into certain writing communities, which are filled with people giving very bad advice. Um, unfortunately, you get a lot of people giving advice that didn't work for them as though it will work for other people. And I think that's a way of self-validating the process they've been through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the most important thing that is so rarely discussed is how much you've got to approach it like it's a business. You've got to, you are creating a product and it's a product you need to sell. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't write the book you want to write. You should absolutely write the book you want to write. And it doesn't mean you should follow trends. You won't be able to hit them even if you pursue them. Mm -hmm. What it does mean is that the objectivity of your mindset has to be there in the same way you would treat a job, which means, for an example, my, my partner and I are both writers. And in the last week, we both knew we had to get a lot of writing done. So I, we've spent the week apart because it gives us all the time that we need to do the writing without distracting each other. Now that's a sacrifice because I've missed her every day. She's not been here, but at the end of the day, I wrote 35,000 words in a week because I gave myself the time to do it. And I wanted to hit a deadline and sometimes working at anything requires you to take, you know, as you have to be able to sacrifice the things that you'd enjoy to be able to do it. Um, and similarly, People have got to be able to listen to feedback. They've, they've got to be able to not take things personally. And I don't think that kind of advice gets given enough. So that's, I wanted to try and offer various forms of advice about things that aren't the sort of endless, uh, endlessly upbeat, positive, mm -hmm. keep on believing you will make it. Because I don't think that's necessarily helpful. Um, it, it sounds it sounds nice to hear, but but the truth of the matter is, you might not, and you should be prepared for that. You, you know, you should have another income stream, so that you're not reliant on something which may or may not ever happen. Um, and even if you do, you know, the first thing my agent said to me when I got published was, "Don't give up your day job." Like, even if you think you can live off your advances, which I could have. Like then you don't know what will happen the next time around. And you know, if your books are a terrific flop, well you'll never get you won't you won't get big advances until you've proven that you're not. So I think there's a need for, for a bit of realism in the advice that people are given. But but hopefully I you know I, I offer it out with without um you know too harsh a boot stomp. No, I think um, I think right I don't I don't want to shatter anyone's dreams, but but should... I, I think I think that's a very important part of the process that people do. You know, I, I, like even myself, I'm part of a of a couple of online writing groups and things like that. And there is a you know, whenever there's good news, people want to share it. Obviously, quite rightly, but there's not a lot said about the sort of downs of the of the industry as well and that's obviously a part of the process and I think it is very healthy 
to speak about it and to know about it as well. So yeah, I, th- I think that's very good. And and it's mostly dance. Most of the time, it's dance. You know, you you'll rarely get the you, the goalposts get reset every time you have a success. There is a rare person, and I, I know I've known a couple of them. I'm not sure if I believe them. But I know a couple of the people who say like they're just happy as long as their books are being read by anyone. And if you are, then that's fantastic, and you probably have a much more fulfilling life than most people. Most, but what happens for most people is if you get you know you get an advance for a book. Well, you want a bigger advance the next time, and then the advance that would have satisfied you on run two wouldn't satisfy you on run three. Mm. Um, so it's almost setting yourself up to be in a position of constantly being disappointed, yeah. <laughs> which, which is a bit of a tragic thing to say, isn't it? But I think that that's not unique to writing. That's the same way that if you get a pay rise in any job of 1% one year, you want a bigger one the next year. Um, no, no one wants to plateau. Mm-hmm. No, that's what, really you had a, Sorry, you had a second part of your question that I never got to. Um, yeah. Which was, um, do you think nowadays being a writer, is social media an essential tool for writers to use? Well, I, I really hope not. I'm on Twitter and nothing else. Um, I I find social media, the moment I open any social media, it makes me extremely anxious. Um, I've, I find it baffling that uh what what people seem to like and and what they seem not to you know you'll see a random tweet by someone picture of a frog will have forty thousand likes uh you know uh so i don't know how it works and i sometimes feel like social media is just lots of creators all shouting their own self-publicity into a void of other people who don't really care and just want to shout back Mm. um I know some people sort of develop communities and networks, um, but I'm very, very wary of of anyone that I don't meet in real life um, or at least have a conversation with, you know. Um, so I hope it's not. And as far as I know, the way that book sales work, we're still at something like two-thirds of book sales happen in bookshops and two-thirds of people who buy in a bookshop didn't know what they were buying before they went in. Mm-hmm. Which sort of leads you to believe it's all like I don't know how anyone manages to sell any books. It all just sounds very <laughs> random. But the publicity and marketing people seem to know what they're doing, um, or at least you hope they do. Um, I, I don't want to be a social media publicist and marketer. I think if you self-publish a book, you have no option but to do that because that is where you will find your audience. Or so I, so so I'm told by my mm. self-published friends. Um, but if if I could choose not to, if I could choose to just go and live somewhere deep in the countryside and, and ride horses and write and not have to have the internet in my life at all, then I probably would. <laughs> and and looking forward, you, you said right at the very, very start that you, you tried to write a comic with when you were younger. And um, is that something you'd like to return to? Um, I'm more, at the moment, I'm... I'm more interested in writing screenplays at the moment. Um, and uh, I think, you know, you know, my partner, uh, Kat already, um, she and I are, are talking about a screenplay that we're cool. planning cool. to write together. Um, possibly an audio drama. I think it will be. Cool. Um, I, 
well, I used to love drawing the comics more than I enjoyed writing their their plots. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I stopped drawing when I was about 18. Um, and I'm, I'm well aware that I'm so far behind the talent level of 18-year-olds today that it's not something I'd ever be able to pick up. You've know? <laughs> you, you got to know when you're good at something. And I was, I was good enough that my art teacher would give me an A when I was 15, I am no. The, you see what kids these days are producing, and they, you know, uh, what they're sharing online, and you just think, "Wow, these guys are incredible." Mm. They're, they're so talented beyond anyone I knew when I was that age, and maybe we're just seeing the cream of the crop plucked from the internet. But that—that's the only standard I would accept from myself because I—I want to be a perfectionist in everything. Um, I would happily—I would happily write comics, but then. I also feel I haven't kept up with my comic book reading and I don't want to be like one of those short story writers who says, you know, Hey guys, I want to publish short stories, but I don't know where they're published. It's like, well, if you haven't been reading it, (laughs) maybe you should go and read some short stories, but I I would, that would be me with, and this is, this is is why I hope, you know, I, when I talk about being objective, having a self-awareness that I would love to write comic books, but I don't have the knowledge of what's been published in the last 15 years to, to write something that would be good and original and, you know, wasn't treading ground that somebody else, I can refer back to, you know, reading Frank Miller comics mm-hmm. um, in 2000 AD in the nineties and X-Men. And, but uh, I think there are other people who would do it much better than me. So I will leave it to them for now. That said, if you're listening to this and you want to pay me to write a comic, um, <laughs> my agent's details are <laughs> exactly. Well, but I was just going to say that, that it does. I mean, I'm I, I've fallen out of reading comics as well recently, but from what I can see, there does seem to be more comics set in the fantasy world than I remember when I was younger. You know, obviously Sanderson has graphic novels of his series, but I think there's even D&D comics, which maybe there always were, I'm not sure, but there does seem to be more uh, stories in that genre being told than I remember as a kid now. So It, it was all sci-fi back back in, mm. back in, I guess, when I was reading comics was from, you know, the, the late 80s through to the early 2000s, and it seemed like sci-fi significantly yeah. dominated yeah. there. I think I, maybe just because uh, I think a lot of the... Um, sort of uh, manga and anime influences were were hitting Western comics at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think fantasy had also fallen out of flavor a bit there because we'd had the fantasy movies of the, of the eighties, yeah. you know, which all were almost all terrible. Yeah. Um, and it sort of became fantasy became a bit of a pariah for a while, I think. Um, and I wonder if the comics resurgence is, is down to, you know, um, mainstream media taking more interest in fantasy since uh, you know the peter jackson lord of the rings films showed that you could actually do it well yeah actually i, I think speaking of 80s fantasy films i, I think there is a hawk the slayer comic coming oh, out. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Ooh, probably a Beastmaster comic somewhere yeah right? exactly yeah uh, so so what's next then what's what, what have you got next lined up in your schedule so i'm i'm editing uh, the second Red Winter book, then I will be writing the third Red Winter book. Um, and then after that, I 
I'm hoping we'll get a chance between those. Um, can I hoping to, to work on this um, audio or screenplay? Um, we're, we're in very early stages of, of working it out at the moment, but hoping to have a go at that. Um, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a modern, uh, I suppose it's technically it's a modern horror kind of novel um, that I've, I've, I've written a bit of that I'd like to have a crack at. Don't know if I can write horror. Don't know if it'd be any good. Probably just end up being a fantasy book. <laughs> um, instead, <laughs> there'll be, be some mega wizards in there at some point. Horror, um, horror fantasy—that's a genre which is not anywhere near near enough books of. I think really scary horror, but with the magical twist to it. Some elves in there. Yeah, why not? Why not? <laughs> exactly. was the last book that you read so i'm currently reading um real tigers um by mick heron so that's the th- uh it's one of the books in the uh, sl- uh slow horses series yeah. um which makes me sound really lame because the tv show's just come out which is why i remembered that i should pick up that series again. <laughs> um, but i uh i read the the first couple of books um a while ago um and mick heron has a he just has a fantastic writing style he's very readable um and i i typically don't read fantasy books anymore um i find as the moment i open one it's like i'm looking at work and all i'm doing is just trying to deconstruct it and pick it apart so i typically read sort of um spy thrillers um i'm a sucker for a lee child jack reacher um they're like my absolute comfort reading and and dreadful like sometimes like so, 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 uh, you know what it, hope each other <laughs> like, one of our biggest fans actually they don't make sense quite a lot of the time but it doesn't really matter it's just enjoyable to go on the journey even if the, the plot isn't always keeping up but i've um i've also recently um uh i had a look at a book called the Collarbound by Rebecca Zahabi, I think, if I, uh, and uh, that's published from Glance this month. Cool. Um, if you're into uh, kind of magic school, um, magic systems, uh, that kind of thing, then uh, I, I thought that was I enjoyed reading it. Um, that would be one to give a go. Great. Nice. And uh, what about the last film that you watched? Uh, oh, well, the last film that I watched, I watched uh, Ambulance yesterday. Oh, the Michael Bay movie. You know what? I love Michael Bay movies. I don't care what No, no, I, 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 that's fine. I'm no, no judgment here. I've enjoyed many of his movies. It's a film. The Ambulance is, is not one of his best films. Uh, if you really enjoy watching police cars chasing someone and then crashing into something, then you probably really enjoy it. But there's only so many police cars I want to see crash. But it is a movie where he references one of his own other movies where they talk, they quote The Rock. Oh, God, that's getting a bit meta, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, The Rock is a great movie and should be quoted all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, the last good movie I watched was Run. Oh, I've not seen that. The Netflix movie. It's on Netflix, yeah. yeah. Um, it's about a. A uh, daughter who start in uh, has su- uh, many medical conditions and starts to believe that her mother is causing the conditions, 
Um, and I, I thought it was really enjoyable. Um, great atmosphere, well acted. Cool. Nice. And uh, what about the last TV show that you watched or are watching? Um, so I just picked up, I'd never watched Ozark. I just started oh, yeah. Ozark. And I've watched the season. I'm, I both enjoyed it and I'm not sure how much more Ozark I can take because it's so bleak and <laughs> it seems like there's no way out. I'm watching the last seven episodes just now. I'm halfway through them, and it's so stressful. The episode, the last episode I watched last night or the night before, I was just kind of sitting there, and I was like, I'm not actually sure if I'm enjoying this whole last half hour because it's just so <laughs> that's how I felt tense about the whole and stressful. Yeah, yeah, like like it's one of those things where you think like it's really good. I'm not sure how much fun I'm having. <laughs> it's not a very fun show. It's I love it, but it's it's quite a yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm watching a. Dope sick on oh yeah what's it on uh, is it on it's Disney, Disney Plus, Plus or something yeah, yeah. With, about the opioid crisis in America and Michael Keaton's in it and stuff and again really well made really good storytelling but also intensely <laughs> depressing it's like I really want to watch <laughs> ten have, episodes of this having a good time <laughs> yeah. I, I tell you what like, um uh, one series I thought was um, was absolutely brilliant was Peacemaker um, oh yeah oh I've not watched that yet no, no. it's it's. I just thought it was a work of genius. It, it's so funny. Um, the 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 initial setup of it, you know, like he'll kill any number of men, women, and children to have peace. Yeah. <laughs> it writes itself, doesn't it? Um, but I thought it was it was witty. Um, I think it's John John Cena. Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. And he's great. Everyone in it is great. Um, and it's relaxing because it's so stupid that. You know, you don't have to worry about like something awfully depressing is about to happen. Yeah, no, I definitely want to watch that one. Nice. And the very, very last thing we always do is a super quick fire, either or. And I always say there's no right answers apart from one. Okay. But we'll start off with uh, a song of fire and ice or first law. First law. Oh, straight in there. Okay. Oh, easy. Uh, uh, this is a D and D related question: uh, strength or intelligence, Bill? Oh, intelligence. You're the wizard, man. Wizards are awesome. Uh, TV or cinema? TV. Uh, night owl or early bird? I'd... What is it if you get up late and go to bed early? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Neither. I'll, I'll, I'll go night owl because I'd rather that was true. Okay. Uh, fancy restaurant or a takeaway? What if you do both? There? No, um, I'll go. I'll... <laughs> if you take a takeaway, eat it in a restaurant. <laughs> I, I love. I love going to a restaurant. Um, yeah, always look forward to it. Nice. Um, music or no music when you're listening? Uh, when you're writing, sorry. Music, yeah, absolutely. Um, Got to have a soundtrack playing, and I, I change. I change the soundtrack depending on on the tone of the scene I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Nice. That's okay. And uh, final one: real book or ebook? I'm going to say real book um, because you get the because it's it's nice to hold in your hand and you can use it for other things like you can use it as a a mug rest and if you put (laughs) it on a Kindle or or other devices are available um, then then you're going to mess it up. Um, I I I read book saying that I read a lot more ebooks than I do read physical books uh, because it's so convenient and I know all your big. 
all your big books are being used to hold it to keep you, keep your mugs off the desk. So they can't even, well, they can't apparently, Road of Bones by Christopher Golden is doing oh, yeah. it at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> wonderful book, wonderful, Excellent. wonderful uh, mug mug holder. <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, thanks very much, Ed. That was a lot of fun. That was great fun. Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs> Well, thanks very much to Ed for uh, coming on to the podcast. I really enjoyed that chat and um, I hope you did as well. Like I say, I think he's someone to follow closely on Twitter if you are an aspiring author because he always has some really brilliant advice. And I highly recommend picking up his book, um, Daughter of Red Winter and the rest of his series if you haven't already done that. We've put a link in the podcast description so that you can easily buy Ed's books or, of course, you can buy them from your friendly local bookshop um on to next week's guest and we've got another brilliant guest next week we sort of um gave the game away on next week's guest a couple of a couple of episodes ago because we sort of reworked our schedule but next week's guest is the martha wells episode that we had we had hinted at previously martha wells of course is well known for the murder boat diaries which started off as novellas now novels but they're really um big in the sci-fi world she's also a brilliant fantasy author as well but it was really also interesting speaking to her because she was a successful writer and then had this sort of dip in her career where, as she tells us, you know, she wondered whether it was it was going to be able to continue. And then fortunately, she she did continue because she brought back she came back into the writing scene with the Murder Boat Diaries, which are, which are brilliant books. Um, but it's it's always interesting to hear that as you know, if you are interested in becoming a writer, that even after you have been published there can still be difficulties on that road and it's always good to hear from someone that's experienced that and see how they got they got through it so please uh, do tune in for that one um if you enjoyed this episode please do give us a rating and review on apple podcasts or whatever you, you podcast app you use please also follow like and subscribe to the podcast that always helps and um if you want to get in touch with us please drop us a line at podcast at rightgear.co.uk or uh, on any of our social media feeds, which are all at UK page one. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode.